Section three of the Battle of the Books. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Battle of the Books and Other Short Pieces by Jonathan Swift. Section three. The Episode of Bentley and Watton day being far spent and the numerous forces of the moderns having plainly to a retreat there issued forth from a squadron of their heavy armed foot a captain whose name was bentley the most deformed of all the moderns tall but without shape or comeliness large but without strength or proportion his armour was patched up of a thousand incoherent pieces and the sound of it as he marched was loud and dry like that made by the fall of a sheet of lead which an etesian wind blows suddenly down from the roof of some steeple his helmet was of old rusty iron but the visor was brass which tainted by his breath corrupted into copperas nor wanted gall from the same fountain so that whenever provoked by anger or labour and a tremendous quality of most malignant nature was seen to distill from his lips it, in his right hand he grasped a flail and that he might never be unprovided of inoffensive weapon a vessel full of a door in his left thus completely armed he advanced with a slow and heavy pace where the modern chiefs were holding a consult upon the sum of things who as he came onwards laughed to behold his crooked leg and humped shoulder which his boot and armour vainly endeavouring to hide were forced to comply with and expose the generals made use of him for his talent of railing which kept within government proved frequently of great service to their cause but at other times did more mischief than good for at the least touch of offence and often without any at all he would like a wounded elephant convert it against his leaders such at this juncture was the disposition of bentley grieved to see the enemy prevail and dissatisfied with everybody's conduct but his own he humbly gave the modern generals to understand that he conceived with great submission they were all a pack of rogues and fools and confounded loggerheads and illiterate whelps and nonsensical scoundrels that if himself had been constituted general those presumptuous dogs the ancients would long before this have been beaten out of the field you said he sit here idle but when i or any other valiant modern kill an enemy you are sure to seize the spoil but i will not march one foot against the foe till you all swear to me that whomever i take or kill his arms i shall quietly possess bentley having spoken thus scalger bestowing him a sour look Miss Creant Prater, said he, eloquent in thine own eyes, thou railest without wit or truth or discretion. The malignity of thy temper perverteth nature. Thy learning mistakes thee more barbarous 
thy study of humanity more inhuman, thy converse among poets more grovelling, murray and dull, all arts of civilizing others render thee rude and untractable. Courts have taught thee ill manners, and polite conversation has finished thee a pedant. Besides, a greater coward burdeneth not the army, but never despond. I pass my word. Whatever spoil thou takest shall certainly be thy own, though I hope that vile carcass will first become a prey to kites and worms. Bentley durst not reply, but, half choked with spleen and rage, withdrew in full resolution of performing some great achievement. With him, for his aid and companion, he took his beloved Watton, resolving by policy or surprise to attempt some neglected quarter of the ancient's army. They began their march over carcasses of their slaughtered friends, them to the right of their own forces, then wheeled northward till they came to Eldrovandus's tomb, which they passed on the side of the declining sun, and now they arrived with fear toward the enemy's outguards. Looking about, if haply they might spy the quarters of the wounded, or some straggling sleepers, unarmed and remote from the rest. As when two mongrel curs, whom native greediness and domestic want provoke and join in partnership, though fearful, nightly to invade the folds of some rich grazer, they, with tails depressed and lolling tongues, creep soft and slow. Meanwhile the conscious moon, now in her zenith, on their guilty heads, starts perpendicular rays, nor dare they bark, though much provoked at her refulgent visage, whether seen in puddle by reflection or in sphere direct, but one surveys the region round, while the other scouts the plain, if haply to discover at distance from the flock some carcass half devoured the refuse of gorged wolves or ominous ravens. So marched this lovely, loving pair of friends, nor with less fear and circumspection, when at a distance they might perceive two shining suits of armor hanging upon an oak, and the owners not far off in a profound sleep. The two friends drew lots, and the pursuing of this adventure fell to Bentley, and on he went, and, in his van confusion and amaze, while horror and affright brought up the rear, as he came near, behold two heroes of the ancient army, Phalaris and Aesop, lay fast asleep. Bentley would fain have dispatched them both, and, stealing close, aimed his flail at Phalaris's breast. But then the goddess of fright, interposing, caught the modern in her icy arms, and dragged him from the danger she foresaw. Both of the dormant heroes happened to turn at the same instant, though soundly sleeping, and busy in a dream. For Phalaris was just that minute dreaming how a most vile potaster had lampooned him, and how he had got him roaring in his bowl. And Aesop dreamed 
that as he and the ancient were lying on the ground a wild ass broke loose ran about trampling and kicking in their faces bentley leaving the two heroes asleep seized on both their armors and withdrew in quest of his darling watton he in the meantime had wandered long in search of some enterprise till at length he arrived at a small rivulet that issued from a fountain hard by called in the language of mortal men helicon here he stopped and parched with thirst resolved to ally it in this limpid stream thrice with profane hands he essayed to raise the water to his lips and thrice it slipped all through his fingers then he stopped prone on his breast but ere his mouth had kissed the liquid crystal apollo came and in the channel held his shield betwixt the modern and the fountain so that he drew up nothing but mud for although no fountain on earth can compare with the clearness of helicon yet there lies at bottom a thick sentiment of slime and mud for so apollo begged of jupiter as a punishment to those who durst attempt to taste it with unhallowed lips and for a lesson to all not to draw it too deep or far from the spring at the fountain head watton discerned two heroes the one he could not distinguish but the other was soon known for temple general of the allies to the ancients his back was turned and he was employed in drinking large draughts in his helmet from the fountain where he had withdrawn himself to rest from the toils of the war watton observing him with quaking knees and trembling hands spoke thus to himself oh that i could kill this destroyer of our army what renown should i purchase among the chiefs but to issue our against him man against man shield against shield and lance against lance what modern of us dare for he fights like a god and pallas or apollo are ever at his elbow but oh mother if what fame reports be true that i am the son of so great a goddess grant me to hit the temple with the length that the stroke may send him to hell and that i may return in safety and triumph laden with the spoils the first part of this prayer the gods granted at the intercession of his mother and of momus but the rest by a perverse wind sent from fate was scattered in the air then watton grasped his lance and brandishing it thrice over his head darted it with all his might the goddess his mother at the same time adding strength to his arm away the lance went hissing and reached even to the belt of the averted ancient upon which lightly grazed it fell to the ground temple neither felt the weapon touch him nor heard it fall and watton might have escaped to his army with the honour of having remitted his lance against so great a leader unrevenged but apollo enraged that a javelin flung by the assistance of so foul a goddess should pollute his fountain put on the shape of and softly came to young boyle who then accompanied temple he pointed first to the lance then to the distant modern that flung it and commanded the young hero to take immediate revenge boyle clad in a suit of armor which had been given him by all the gods immediately advanced against the trembling foe who now fled before him as a young lion in the libyan plains 
or arabi desert sent by his aged shire to hunt for prey or health or exercise he scores along wishing to meet some tiger from the mountains or a furious boar if chance a wild ass with brangs importune in fronts his ear the generous beast though loathing to disdain his claws with blood so vile yet much provoked at the advance of the noise which echo foolish nymph like her ill-judging sex repeats much louder and with more delight than philomela's song he vindicates the honour of the forest and hunts the noisy long-eared animal so watton fled so boyle pursued but watton heavy-armed and slow afoot began to slack his course when his lover bentley appeared returning laden with the spoils of the two sleeping ancients boyle observed him well and soon discovering the helmet and shield of phalaris's friend both which he had lately with his own hands new polished and given rage sparkled in his eyes and leaving his pursuit after watton he furiously rushed on against this new approacher fain would he be revenged on both but now fled different ways and as a woman in a little house that gets a painful livelihood by spinning if chance her geese be scattered or the common she courses round plain from side to side compelling here and there the stragglers to the flock they cackle loud and flutter o'er the champagne so boyle pursued so fled this pair of friends finding at length their flight was vain they bravely joined and drew themselves in flannox first bentley threw a spear with all his force hoping to pierce the enemy's breast but pallas came unseen and in the air took off the point and clapped on one of lead which after a dead bang against the enemy's shield fell blunted to the ground then boyle observing well his time took up a lance of wondrous length and sharpness and as the pair of friends compacted stood close side by side he wheeled him to the right and with unusual force darted the weapon bentley saw his fate approach and flinking down his arms close to his ribs hoping to save his body in went the point passing through arm and side nor stopped or spent its force till it had also pierced the valiant watton who going to disdain his dying friend shared his fate as when a skilful cook has trusted a brace of woodcocks he with iron skewer pierces the tender sides of both their legs and wings close pinned to the rib so was this pair of friends transfixed till down they fell joined in their lives joined in their deaths so closely joined that charon would mistake them both for one and raft them over sticks for half his fare farewell beloved loving pair few equals have you left behind and happy immortal shall you be if all my wit and eloquence can make you and now descent quotera end of section three read by elijah fisher